You are listening to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast with John Pemba and Andrew Cooper. Well, what's going on, everybody? John and Pemba here with Andrew Cooper bringing you another Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast episode six. And Coop, maybe this is the uh, the long-awaited episode, right? Technically, we have in our presence here the tight end whisperer as you have been dubbed handed down by howard bender and then i've been called the quarterback whisperer by rick wolf on colton and the wolfman howard i do the quarterback coach come dfs football season as well so we're talking quarterbacks and tight ends today on this episode podcast breaking down some best ball adp so great stuff in store for everybody but of course before we jump into all of the coop how you been lately? Yeah, before we get on that, I think the very one of the very first clips from Fantasy Alarm I ever heard was you and Howard Bender, and he was just going on and on about your quarterback analysis. And ever since then, I've been asking you who my quarterback should be, and most of the time it's Matt Stafford, and he doesn't do us very well. So, <laughs> well, uh, it's usually Matt Ryan or Matt Stafford. I'm almost right. always recommending either of those because they're just so, such great values. When it comes to drafts, for whatever reason, those guys you can always get later rounds of drafts. If only Stafford, if only Stafford could stay healthy and his receivers could stay healthy over the last couple of years, we'd be in business. But at the end of every season, if you look at Matt Ryan, is usually just right there. It's very, it's very ugly for a lot of the time he's playing quarterback. But as you've talked about in nauseam because of all your wide receiver and tight end stats with targets, they throw the most most in football. So the sheer volume that Matt, that Matt Ryan gets just always puts him in play in fantasy and in DFS. And we'll, of course, touch upon that as we look over uh, the uh, the quarterback ADPs here. But yeah, that's true. One of the early uh, radio appearances I did with Colton Wolfman was always coming in on Tuesdays to preview the quarterbacks, top quarterbacks of the slate for DFS. So I likely heard me by that moniker floating around there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm amped for it. And Matt Ryan, honestly, just before we get into this, like he, he's been the quarterback two before. In 2019, if he didn't get hurt, the team overall threw 684 passes. Matt Schaub ended up throwing a few of those because he, Matt Ryan missed a game, missed part of two other games. I mean, he would have been a top five quarterback again in that season. So, I mean, not necessarily a guy I'm off this year either, but might as well get into that now, right? Yeah, let's just jump into it here. We'll look at quarterback ADPs. Of course, this is going to be a little bit less concentrated when we go round by round than positions of the past, right? When we had 15 running backs going over the first couple rounds and all the wide receivers we saw going in rounds three and four over the last couple of podcasts that we've taken a look at here. Yeah, there are definitely going to be rounds where quarterbacks are a bit more popular, but these positions largely get spread out a little bit differently as we break down and everybody's going and attacking their skill positions early and then once we get to the middle to later rounds is where everybody's looking to start jumping in uh, on the quarterback so let's start it off right at the top here no real surprise for me but last year was a little bit of a different story heading into draft season Patrick Mahomes is your first quarterback off the board going in round three uh, last year, there was a lot of people that believed in what Lamar Jackson was doing in the year, the two years prior. They thought going into last season, he was going to be able to keep that momentum going forward. You know, his rushing attack, his improved passing ability. I had him right there where some people were taking Lamar over Mahomes. I was not one of those people. I was terrified uh, of any sort of regression for Lamar Jackson would drop him below. I was buying in on Mahomes, who was coming off an injury season in himself two years prior. So that was my number one quarterback. He finished right up there again. So Mahomes goes in round three. 
And then we have Josh Allen and Kyler Murray currently with fourth round ADPs. Allen's a guy that is sort of the hot ticket coming into this year off of his breakout season last year. And then Kyler Murray coming off a really good sophomore year as well. What's your take there on the first couple quarterbacks coming off the board? What's your philosophy when it comes to drafting quarterbacks, Coop, in, in both best ball and in redraft? So I have in best ball specifically i have two strategies that i use and basically it's because in best ball what happens is every quarterback gets drafted these drafts are so long and there's there's big benches there's no buy there's no um, waivers there's no trades so that's basically how it goes in best ball so i either draft one high-end quarterback and then i take another solid guy that i know isn't going to lose his job and then i only have two quarterbacks on my roster if i don't do that and i wait a bit then what I usually do is I take two quarterbacks in that mid-range and then I'll take a shot on a guy that I think could come in and have a huge upside. So what I'll do is basically say I take a Mahomes here and I'm not against it. If he falls to the third round and I don't like the other value there, I'll take Mahomes. What I'll do is I'll go in and I'll take somebody like a, maybe a Ben Roethlisberger or like a Kirk Cousins, a guy that I know is not almost certainly not going to get benched and that I know I'm kind of safe at quarterback and I don't need to use any more roster spots. Otherwise, I might wait, take some of the mid-round guys and then pair him with somebody like a pair those two guys with a third guy like a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields that could could come out and blow up but they might not even start so it's kind of a balancing act but that's typically what i do i mean what do you usually do with with qb and your best balls yeah so i guess it really depends on how the draft goes for me and where i am in the draft at the time i definitely am someone while i play multiple best balls i'm sure we all do i don't know anybody that's playing one best ball draft right that's <laughs> that's just not how how best balls i feel the players work so we're always trying to get exposure but i definitely make sure i get a top end quarterback in best balls i've gone over this a lot of times I try to go ahead and make sure I have someone that could potentially be the number one player at the position I know that's not such a bold strategy everybody's trying to get a number one player at the position but you know locking up a guy like Patrick Mahomes and being able to stack him I'm a big fan of stacking as well with the potential Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey which had been easier to do in years past when both Hill and Kelsey weren't first round picks in some leagues like they are now but that's generally a strategy that I had enjoyed but that allows me to sort of pivot that strategy potentially with some other combinations. I've been getting a lot of Stefan Diggs that I love, DeAndre Hopkins. So I'm not opposed to stacking a quarterback and a top wide receiver, much like I do in DFS in best ball drafts as well. Because generally when those guys are going off, they're only going off to the one of their top receiver basically on their team. And that's where they're doubling up on the production. So uh, I'm fine with going ahead and drafting top end quarterbacks. We're in the middle of the lightning round best ball draft right now. Didn't do that strategy. Uh, I went running back heavy early, just the way the draft boards fell. I took two later quarterbacks, two that we mentioned at the start of this show. In fact, actually uh, Stafford and Matt Ryan. So I, I can definitely vary the strategy, but I find towards the end of my basketball drafting se- best ball drafting season that I have a lot of top end quarterbacks for sure. What are you a believer in Josh Allen? That's the one guy again that's everybody's talking about. And I and I worry a little bit for a guy that two years ago couldn't hit you or me if we were standing next to him with a pass that felt like and then he goes and completes almost seventy percent of his throws last season. It feels like I'm almost we're almost falling into that Lamar Jackson trap again where Everybody thought he took that step forward, ready to buy in. He's a dual threat quarterback. He can throw. And then last year, Lamar had a big step back in his in his accuracy and completion percentage on a run heavy team. And then people were overdrafting Lamar, not getting the value. Does that worry you at all with Josh Allen? Or do you think that he really is the next coming of the guy? 
Yeah, I know you are the stack master at Fantasy Alarm. If anyone uh, look, looking for DFS advice, Impemba always has the hot stack of the week. I usually ask him for that. When it comes to Josh Allen, I was one of the ones saying that coming into last year, I was doubting him because he had a, I think it was 62% completion percentage his rookie year, which is completely unreasonable. And then he he went to, I think it was 64 or so. I mean, it's like he, everyone was touting his big jump in completion percentage, but he basically went from awful to unacceptable. So I, I was doubting him coming into last year, but... You know, they brought in digs and we saw the results. So it's kind of hard to suggest that he could go all the way back. And there are examples of guys who have had poor accuracy issues in college and in their early years in the league. And then once they took that step forward, they kind of stayed there. The biggest example that I can think of would be Brett Favre, who actually had very similarly awful college stats to Josh Allen in terms of completion percentage, came from a similar type school situation, was a gunslinger at the beginning and wasn't terribly accurate and then once he figured he was great for a long time so for me i prefer mahomes and i won't pay up for josh allen but if somebody takes mahomes and then no one takes allen for a round or two that's when i'm that's when i'm kind of interested so with these guys i'm willing to to take stabs but there is a guy on this list coming up that i like better in terms of his adp than the other two so a lot of times i'm not taking these couple guys do you want me to give that name now or should yeah well, i mean like i said we are coming rounds i'll just run off maybe the rounds five and six lamar jackson is it's currently going around the fifth round uh of drafts you have dak prescott coming off that horrific ankle and expected to be fully recovered and ready to go he's currently going in round six russell wilson and his interesting offseason Demanding a trade, not demanding a trade, then not getting traded from Seattle back in back with Seattle. He's in round six. And then last year, fantasy darling Justin Herbert also going in round six. So that's your next tier, Coop, because there's a big jump after that. So is the player you're thinking of in that grouping? He is, yeah. So basically what ends up happening with me is if I don't get Mahomes, usually I sit there and I look at the quarterbacks and kind of gauge what my league is going to do. And then what happens is Josh Allen goes, Kyler Murray goes, and that's when I start gearing up to take Dak Prescott. If you look at the numbers last year through, he played basically four and a half games. Through four games, he was on pace to absolutely obliterate the pass attempt record. I'm talking the current pass attempt record holder is Matt Stafford with uh, just over 700. I think it's 707. The next closest is our boy from Boston, Drew Bledsoe, that had just under 700. I think it was 690 and change, somewhere in there. Tech Prescott, through four games, was on pace to throw over 800 pass attempts in a 16-game season. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't even been close. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, with that, with those numbers, like, even if he doesn't come out slinging like he was last year, like, if he's on a normal high-end pace, I mean, he could he'll probably break the record anyway because it's an extra game but i mean he could easily be the the number one quarterback so i basically kind of wait i'll take Dak prescott ahead of lamar jackson if i think the time's right and if i miss on say it goes jackson and then uh, prescott quickly i'm also willing to take russell wilson because he has the same offense that he's had that he's been successful with he's consistently throwing a lot of touchdown passes he runs for he runs the ball he runs touchdown pass he run he runs uh the ball in and now they gave him uh gerald everett as a pass catching tight end they gave him Dwayne eskridge as a second round older prospect so probably a bit more polished to come in and play slot he's got more weapons than he's ever had so with russell wilson that's another one where i feel like he can't really miss 
uh, yeah, you he's, know. He, Wilson is definitely your very reliable six to eight fantasy QB generally, right? And then he has that top five upside if he gets it together, if things work out for him, if he gets any sort of offensive line protection, which is one of the reasons he wanted to be traded out of Seattle in the first place was just he was running for his life half the time. So I, I like that a lot. In round six last year was where I was targeting Kyle Murray in a lot of drafts for redraft. And that's probably where I'm kind of looking with you too. I like Dak a lot just the upside that he brings if we're believers in, in that type of, in his recovery, I mean, the offense, I mean, just the weapons galore with, with Cooper, with Lamb, with Gallup, Zeke, we're all expecting a bounce back from, they're getting Jarwin back as well. So just a lot of good things potentially for Dak if he's healthy. So I'm with you on that. I think I might take Herbert over Wilson personally. I, I like that range of where we're, teams are starting to look at their quarterbacks. Like we said, there's three quarterbacks right there in round six. A little bit goes by and then Aaron Rodgers is sitting in round nine. Are you touching Aaron Rodgers at all at this point in drafts? So I actually already, we talk about this all the time, is that sure. you know you want to place the, the bets and get your lottery tickets in there. So I actually already drafted a couple Aaron Rodgers uh, picks in earlier best balls when things were at their ugliest, where he was he was going even later than he is here. You could get him kind of outside the top 10 when it was real ugly and it seemed like he was definitely not coming back. Like, it, it didn't look good. So I already have enough Rodgers. I'm probably not going to be taking too much more of them. But if, if you don't have at least one best ball out there with Aaron Rodgers at this, at this current ADP, I'd go out and take him in at least one league because we're talking about the MVP of the league and you can get him at the ninth round. So we're talking all these other guys, like even though he's the, what is it? The eighth quarterback off the board here on this list, right. those other guys all going top six rounds, he's down in the ninth round. So you're getting an even bigger discount than that. And just one word on Justin Herbert is that always look and check the settings of your league because if it's a six point passing league where it's six points for a touchdown instead of four points, then Justin Herbert and Aaron Rodgers become a lot more valuable. So yeah. people are going to be going after Lamar Jackson. Even the year that Lamar Jackson led the league in touchdown passes, and same with Russell Wilson, they threw like 35. All these other guys are capable of 40, 50 touchdown passes. So yep. it's, it, it all depends. So for me, I am interested in those guys, especially in six-point passing. But for the most part, I'm either targeting the guys that I already mentioned or I'm going to wait a little bit and go with the strategy I talked about earlier. So that's nine and then yeah, uh, we're, and, we're, and now we're basically where everybody is if you're playing the weight on quarterback strategy this is where we start right you're in round 11 right now if for average adp is you have jalen hurts who people are excited for the potential upside i think because of his mobility it was downfield passing but he only completed what it was like 52 percent of his passes last year or something absurd <laughs> like that like it was not good we're talking how everybody felt about josh allen and lamar jackson a couple of years ago that's where jalen hurts was with his accuracy at the, at the end of last year now he had some big fantasy weeks because he had some rushing touchdowns thrown in there and he had a couple and i think he had a three touchdown game passing as well but there's a lot of polish still to shine on, on him as a quarterback you know they got him some receiving help but we'll see what happens there but for me i don't know i can if i can take jalen hurts to be my qb1 or i might take hurts and pair him up with a russell wilson or a Dak prescott or something like that and maybe you catch lightning in a bottle in, in best ball or, G, or in redraft and you trade one of them but i, can, I don't think i can confidently take hurt and, and then be okay with him as my top quarterback right yeah i mean if it's a regular redraft league where i have to pick my quarterback to start every week i'm scared of jalen Hurts. if it's a two quarterback league with super flex or two quarterback and i'm picking two guys and i'm going to start them every week i'm pretty scared of jalen Hurts as well if i'm waiting in one of these drafts and he's there everyone kind of has a quarterback already and he's there 10 11 12 i'll grab him 
maybe, but I'm going to grab another quarterback right away. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm going to pair two of these guys in this range up. And uh, I kind of do that anyway in this range, because if you're waiting and you don't have Patrick Mahomes, you can potentially recreate that value by taking two guys that might not be super consistent, but they throw out those banger games. And this is best ball we're talking about. So if Jalen Hurts goes out and he runs for 150 yards and two touchdowns and throws a touchdown pass one week, and the next week he goes out and has 30 yards rushing and 150 yards passing, you're hoping your second quarterback picks up the slack there. You don't start him in your lineup. The lineup sets itself. So in this if I go for a risky quarterback like that, I want to make sure that I'm loading up on other quarterbacks just to to hedge my bets. Where's What's with the hate on our guy Tom Brady here? 11th round, he had the second most pass attempts in football last season. He was tied for second with 40 touchdown passes. He only threw 12 interceptions. He threw for 4,600 yards. He completed 65% of the passes here. 102 quarterback rating, like, He's one of the best quarterbacks in football last year. What is What are we worried about? Why is Tom Brady falling in drafts into the double-digit rounds when, you know, numbers-wise, he's right up there with the top guys? Yeah, he's the best of all time, and that's not just because we're from Boston. It's That's just the way it is. But there is a phenomenon with quarterbacks in fantasy football with a real-life correlation to it that's kind of interesting that not a lot of people talk about, which is that this is his second year there, things might actually get easier. And sometimes for these teams, easier isn't better for fantasy football. If you look at Peyton Manning with the Colts, the year that he threw uh, 40-something touchdown passes, the team went 12-4, and the defense wasn't good, the running game wasn't all that great, uh, so he had to throw a ton. The very next year, the team was actually better. They won 14 games, but because the defense is better, the running game is better, he only ended up throwing like 30-something touchdowns. Like, oh my God, so sad. But it, it was a huge, he was, the year before, he won everybody all these leagues. He was going in the very beginning of the first round of fantasy drafts, and then he disappointed. Same with Patrick Mahomes almost identical he threw 50 touchdown passes they won 12 and 4 the very next year they went they won 14 games the team was better but he didn't really need to exert himself as much he didn't need to throw the ball as much i honestly think that with this team now with everybody knowing what's going on everyone's on the same page antonio brown is there full time that things actually might be easier for them and it might not they might not be in as many shootouts. They might not need to throw the ball as much. So there is some concern there. Or knowing Tom Brady, That's they the might set. just run the score up on everybody. And Tom, he might Tom throw Brady is a man on a mission at this moment. Yeah. He's chasing all these records. He doesn't want to retire until his name's at the top of every list in the record books for the NFL. So, I mean, I agree with you on, on the large point there where if they're just beating teams, they may not ask much. They may not require Tom to do as much as he did last year, but... You know, they have Fournette, they have Ronald Jones. You know, when they, we get the, when they get in the red zone, Tom Brady was still the one throwing the football, right? Like mm-hmm. spreading them out, throwing the all of his, his receivers. So I, I'm just curious. I, I'm always interested to see where his ADP comes in. Because, I mean, yeah, he's older, but, you know, he just put up another season for the ages there. So he's in round 11. The next couple rounds are, are some more guys that I think are, are pretty interesting. Uh, round 12, we have Matthew Stafford. Round 12, we have Ryan Tannehill. And then round 13 is Joe Burrow. I've talked a lot. You've seen us on Twitter. I like Matthew Stafford going into LA. Better situation for him than he was with Detroit. It's all about really health with him. We, You and I talked about it. I think it was, again, yeah, I think it was last night on Alarm After Hours. On you know, Tuesday night on Alarm After Hours. I like Joe Burrow because I don't know what wide receiver. Like I'd much rather take my chances with drafting Burrow here in round 13 
been hoping to pick the correct receiver that's going to go off. I think all those receivers are great. I think Burrow is in for a fantastic year. And then for me with Ryan Tannehill, they got him Julio Jones. And last year I was down on Tannehill because I looked at the Titans and said, they have a good defense. They're going to run the ball a ton. I can't imagine Tannehill being able to continue what he did in the second half of last year. And then what happened, their defense actually sucked. It required them to play in a lot more shootouts. He was not only good passing the football, but then he was also running for touchdowns when they would get into the red zone as well. His mobility kicked in, and Tannehill was a fantastic fantasy quarterback. Where are you standing in this tier of guys, and and how do you rank them? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what drives these ADPs down, is that there's this big group of guys where everyone's like, oh, this guy who is going a little little later, so you can wait. That's why there's the big jump from Herbert at six, and then it jumps all the way up to Rodgers at nine, and then these guys are all 11, 12, 13, all grouped together, because everyone's kind of got their guy. For me, I'm comfortable taking any of them, and that's why I end up waiting a lot. If it's a four-point passing league, Ryan Tannehill has very sneaky rushing upside. He ran for a a bunch of touchdowns last year. He had a couple multi-touchdown games running the ball. So, you know, when you you have Derrick Henry there, that fake handoff end around. He had seven rushing touchdowns, by the way, last year. Yeah, I mean, it's like, that's that's huge upside because it's like, if you think about it, when in a four-point passing league, seven passing touchdowns is 28 points seven rushing touchdowns is 36 are you getting those extra did i do the math right there no i don't think i did 42 doing large doing math live is impossible 42 yeah so we're talking about 14 extra points there yeah 14 extra points for the rushing touchdowns versus passing touchdowns it's a huge difference yeah i should have just did Seven times two, right? That would have been easier. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Like anyway, said, math live is hard. It's okay. So Tannehill, you got to take your Apple Watch and speak to it and let it do the math for you. Uh, it's charging, dude. That's usually what I do. But yeah, I mean, so anyone in this group here, Burrow, again, when there are guys, as, when you're talking about Tom Brady and Matt Stafford, it makes it hard for me to take Burrow because we all had such a limited sample size of them and we really don't know. So Burrow and also this next guy, we might as well get into the next group here. I'm just not taking them as much unless they unless it's a huge slide. And then I say, okay, you know what? I'll take the guy. But let's get into the next group here because it'll be easier to talk about them both together. Yeah, definitely. So next grouping here, we have Trevor Lawrence, Matt Ryan, and Kirk Cousins all going in round 14. Matt Ryan's the one that stands out to me. Again, we talked about it at the top of the show. I always draft him because of where he goes in these drafts and the amount of volume. And I understand that Julio Jones isn't there anymore, but if we're going to buy into Kyle Pitts, that means we have to believe that Matt Ryan's still going to throw a ton. I think the the Falcons are still going to suck, so Matt Ryan's still going to have to throw a lot. So I have no opinions at all, uh, or no interest at all, rather, of taking Trevor Lawrence. Kirk Cousins, I feel similar. He's my QB2. He's my backup quarterback in leagues. If I need someone to maybe pair a bye week up and he has a good bye week matchup, maybe then. Matt Ryan, I'm okay with my uh, as my QB1 of this group if I was going to wait. The other two, not so much. Yeah, no, I'm there with you. And for, for anyone that's not kind of visualizing this, Brady, Stafford, Tannehill ends 10, 11, and 12. So that we're these guys are all outside of the top 12 in terms of ADP. One of them might get drafted in the higher group, but that just means the other guys slide in. So these guys were into the group of your second quarterback. So say you grab somebody earlier, now you can grab somebody from this group. So for me, what I do with my second quarterback depends entirely on what I've done with my first one, right? So if I draft Patrick Mahomes, right, and I only plan on drafting one more quarterback, I'm never going to take Trevor Lawrence just because I don't really trust him. You know, I, it just, I'm a little concerned. I want somebody that can supplement the few down weeks 
that Mahomes has. So I'd rather take a Kirk Cousins where I know he's going to be there. He's not going to lose his job. He's going to probably throw one, maybe two touchdown passes every week. So if Mahomes gets hurt or he has a down week or has a bye week, I know that Cousins is actually going to be there putting up enough points so that I have a decent score. So it all depends on what my strategy is. If I've, if I really like somebody later, maybe I'll take, and I have somebody really steady, like say Aaron Rodgers, maybe then I'll take Trevor Lawrence and take one more quarterback later. But I mean, like you said, it's way too early for a rookie quarterback, especially with Matt Ryan there. So yeah, for me, probably taking Ryan out of this group and Cousins is a guy that I take if I have, if my position's already pretty much locked and I just need the safest pick. Yeah, I agree with you here. And as we go down, I still think there's some guys that have QB1 potential. Carson Wentz in round 15. I have been enamored with Carson Wentz. I know it's certainly a risky you know, idea to take him as your top quarterback for sure. But I think he's a guy that could definitely have that type of upside. You're looking at him going to the Colts now where they... Just by default, they almost have to have a better offensive line than what he was dealing with last year in Philadelphia. With the amount of pressure he was faced, he was on, their, on pace to you know be sacked a record amount of times. Now he's going to a better environment. I, I like the receiving weapons that he has with Hilton and Pittman there as well. And maybe Paris Campbell will finally be able to stay healthy for once in his life there. So I like Carson Wentz. Again, you're going to draft him as a QB2, but I think there's some QB1 upside for him. I am a Baker, big time Baker Mayfield hater. I know that you think that he can be a, a, an okay quarterback. I, I just think that he beats easy competition, which is fine. He beats the guys that are, that he's supposed to. If you look at his game logs throughout his career, like I think it was like a third of his career touchdowns have come against the Bengals. <laughs> like all of his big, all of his big performances generally come against the Bengals, which he gets to face twice a year. So I'm not a huge Baker Mayfield guy going in round 16. Deshaun Watson, we don't even know if he's going to play. He's in round 16. He's probably a guy that you're going to talk about as making those bets. If you think he has a chance that Deshaun Watson plays, you're getting him for free at this point, and he can be a top you know, 10 fantasy quarterback. You have Tua, Justin Fields, Daniel Jones, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's your round 16 quarterback grouping there, Coop. What's your opinion of that mess of guys? I agree with a lot of it. I mean, Carson Wentz, uh, you're hearing good quotes from T.Y. Hilton and Michael Pittman saying, oh, the deep ball is back, deep ball season. So they seem to like his arm strength over Phillip Rivers. Baker, again, it's it's a run-heavy offense. Kevin Stefanski would never throw it if he didn't have to. Deshaun Watson, if you're going to draft him, you should be getting a steeper discount round 16 here. He's available a lot later. So I would say do a bunch of best balls like we talked about. And if he falls real deep, then, you know, cash your ticket on him. Somebody should, you should have one somewhere, but don't draft him as high as this, especially with guys, some of these guys going. I'm never the first one to take Justin Fields. I'm never the first one to take a rookie quarterback. I'd rather just wait and take Trey Lance. I don't see why Justin Fields needs to go all these rounds ahead of Trey Lance. And I don't see why both of them need to go all these rounds ahead of Zach Wilson, who's actually going to start week one. So, but that's a different conversation there. But yeah, let's uh, let's knock out some of these. Let's get into the rest of these guys after. Uh, so yeah, Fields, I mean, like Week I said, 16. there's there's a mess of guys here. You, and some interesting names for sure. Big Ben in round 17. Again, no respect for Big Ben. The man threw over 600 times last year. Derek Carr completed almost 70% of his passes last season. Again, a quarterback that I feel like tends to go undervalued. Trey Lance, not even going to start the season. Going, <laughs> we, we don't think at least. We think it's going to be uh, Garoppolo. He's in round 17. Sam Darnold, Jameis Winston in round 18. So what's your take of those 17 and 18th round quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, and 
we might as well throw Zach Wilson in there because he's going right sure. after Jameis Winston, right? Yeah, we'll, so throw, we just, we'll throw Wilson and Goff then if you want. Wilson and Goff, yeah, that's 19. Yeah, so, I mean, I if you go on my Twitter, I just retweeted a quote from Justin Fields where he says, I know I'm not starting week one. I'm not even in the competition to start week one because that's the plan. And if I didn't trust in the plan for this team, then I wouldn't be on board with the team. I wouldn't be a good teammate, blah, blah, blah. But he basically just told us he's not starting week one. It's June and we have the inside track information where he's already been told and he knows he's not starting to start the season. So you're kind of throwing points out the window with that one. I mean, at least... Well, Zach Wilson, we know he's going to start. Trey, they traded their quarterback away. He's gone. Sam Darnold is on a different team. Zach Wilson's going to start. And Trey Lance, he might. You know what I mean? So that's what makes it hard, so hard for me to take Justin Fields at his ADP when you could get Trey Lance and have a similar lottery ticket, who knows type situation there. I, I already said I like Big Ben as a safe guy. They're going to throw a ton. They retain Juju. They have Deontay. They have Chase Claypool. They have Eric Ebron. I mean, they have all the weapons you can imagine for a, a quarterback. And then, of course, Jameis Winston, one of the great best ball quarterbacks out there because you don't get the bad weeks like he has horrible weeks he set the record for pick sixes the last right. time he started he had 30 picks but he also threw 33 touchdowns so you get those good weeks touchdown i'm excited to see what happens now that he can see because remember he went to the saints and they give him an eye test Crazy. and they're like dude you're blind you know like yeah. you, you have the worst vision in base in football <laughs> and they fix yeah he's like i got lasik and everyone's like what dude like you couldn't see but i mean just if you watch any of this, like everything about him is just cartoonish. It's just, it's crazy. The workouts that he does where he's just doing things that are completely ridiculous, but still, I mean, this deep, you're just looking for upside and you're going to get it right there. Sure. So, you're, you know, you're just trying to eat those W's with Jameis at this point. Trying to eat them. I yeah. love the original video when you see Deshaun Jackson's face and he's like, what <laughs> have I got myself into? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, eating those W's. So uh, rounds 20 and beyond here. Cam Newton, Coop, again, you and I are Patriots fans. Reports are coming out now in camp that there's a legitimate competition to start a week one for the Patriots. Terrifying. Because yeah. that means that Cam Newton looks that bad that Mac Jones is potentially really pushing him for the starting quarterback job. So if you're picking a Patriots quarterback to draft, are you, one, taking a Patriots quarterback? And two, are you rolling with Cam or are you rolling with Mac? Oh my God. I don't even know. I wouldn't even put it past Belichick to like start Mac Jones, but then be like, Oh yeah, Cam Newton's our red zone quarterback or something like that. Right. You know, something stupid where it's like inside the five. So I talked about, I talked about that with Fancy the other day, Justin Fence to on alarm after hours that I could envision a Taysom Hill type role for Cam it's, Newton. Sure. I mean, where yeah. Mac Jones is the quarterback for just like Drew Brees was. And then they get in the red zone, and all of a sudden, Taysom Hill's trotting out there, and you're like, what is Sean Payton doing? I can see Cam Newton playing that role. I can see I, Cam Newton coming in and playing this red zone quarterback role for the Patriots offense. I could see Belichick being like, you know what? I've been I've wanted to do this since my Navy days and Rutgers, whatever. I could see him coming out and be like, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I want now. So we're running a crazy power offense that's to all tight ends and 380 pound Trent Brown and the goal line set is Cam Newton under center and Johnny Smith at fullback. And it's like a, a wishbone with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, Ramondre and they Stevenson just, and Newt Legarrett Blount yeah, out there. Just. Exactly. And they just, yeah, they just flying the football into the end zone. So I'm just staying away from as a Patriots fan, you never know what they're going to do. And I'm staying away from the whole situation. I'll let somebody else deal with that. 
All right, so I'm just going to rattle off the rest of this list here because we only got a couple quarter, uh, quarterbacks left, and I want you to have as much time as possible to talk about the tight ends. So Cam Newton, you have Taysom Hill, Jimmy Garoppolo, Mac Jones in round 20. Rounds 21, you have Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, Jordan Love, Andy Dalton. You have Tyrod Taylor and Mitch Trubisky going even later than that. Is there any quarterback here that is piquing your interest at all? Maybe just whoever wins the quarterback battles in Denver potentially? No. In the very last round, though, of a league, like let's say I have a league where I already have, say let's say I do a Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan draft, and it's like a 30-round best ball league. In the very last round of one of those, I'll grab Jordan Love. You know what I mean? Because what what if Aaron Rodgers does shoot his way out of town? You know what I mean? And the Jordan Love era starts right now. I mean, the very last round, I think it's worth a shot. I mean, he's going to— He's got Devontae Adams and, and Aaron Jones and all those guys around him offensively, so— Right. And in, in light of the news, too, with Justin Fields coming out and telling everyone that he's a backup, Andy Dalton's going to start for that team, and he could very well start the entire year. So it's, I guess that one's also worth – if you look at the guys in like a 30-round 12-team best ball, we're talking about guys ranking for like 300. You know what I mean? Like yeah. last year, guys like Bryce Love were going around there. Uh, this year, you're seeing guys that were undrafted free agents. Like I think I just saw like Seth Williams go in a league at the end of the draft. It's like might as well take a guy that could start a couple games at quarterback. Play, right. Yeah. So yeah, and we talk about that a lot in best ball, right? Like draft guys have an actual chance to score for your team. Right. Right. Like yeah, if you're gonna draft a handcuff, like that's one thing, but you don't want to draft a guy that could be a literal zero the entire season on your roster. You want somebody that can has some opportunity to score. Yeah, and Andy Dalton's going to start a few games, and he could throw a couple, you know, could throw three touchdown passes and actually crack your lineup. Right. Most of those guys in the 30, around 25 to 30, aren't, might, they might never crack your lineup. I think Ty Johnson, these guys that people are taking, it could never happen. Uh, don't tell that to some of those zero RB guys. They yeah. love their Ty Johnson. So. I mean, I was starting Ty Johnson in the Scott Fishbowl last year after, like, 10 of my dudes got hurt before the season <laughs> started. So, you know, I'm a Ty Johnson guy, I guess. Yeah, for sure. All right, Coop. So that wraps up our quarterback breakdown here for current best ball ADP. So let's get into your specialty here. We are talking now tight ends. Uh, you have like 15 tight end articles in the draft guide this season that's going to be coming out. But you are uh, famous for your ultimate tight end draft guide article. Uh, you are nominated uh, for an award for best football ongoing series last year for this ultimate tight end draft guide. So when it comes to all things tight ends, I think the fantasy industry largely knows to go in your direction. So why don't we just go ahead and start it off here with the top grouping of the tight ends. Kelsey is going in round one. Waller is going in round two. Kittle's in round three. And Andrews is round four. I'm going to I'm gonna break it down in those four rounds uh, because you know, that's considered the, the top group, of course. Break down a little bit of what your strategy is for drafting tight ends and what do you think about where those guys are going in the top half of these drafts? Yeah, and I would I would put TJ Hawkinson in that class at this point as well. And I don't know what to make of him. And I want to jump ahead. We'll talk about it when we get to him. But I, yeah. I am curious as what to do with Hawkinson with Gothic quarterback. Yeah, so when it comes to tight ends, the, the biggest thing to pay attention to this is going to be the biggest indicator of how successful they are is whether they're not whether or not they are a top two target on their team and then they don't necessarily have to be 
the number one target, though that's obviously a bonus. But top two is kind of where that line's been drawn, right? If you go back through the recent years, there's basically only been two that have cracked the top five in fantasy without being a top two target on their team. That was basically Robert Tunyon last year in a very weird COVID year. Mark Andrews got COVID. Kittle got hurt. Ertz got hurt. Like all these crazy things happened. He caught a bunch of touchdown passes. Before that, the next guy that finished top five without being top two on his team was actually Martellus Bennett back in 2014. Very strange year for the Bears. They had four guys all get 100 targets. So he was technically like fourth after Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall, Matt Forte. Another very strange year. But typically, you have your tight end being a top two target on your team. And that's because of how rare it is for three guys to all get 100 targets on their team. In 2017, no team had three guys get 100 targets. In 2018, one team. 2019, one team. So it's kind of rare that happens. So um, here, and I'll throw out my last, while we're just getting into the topic, I'll throw out my last sure. big stat on tight ends, top top five tight ends, which is uh, your favorite one that I always quote, the Randy McMichael stat. Yeah. Right? So, no t- so if you go back to 2000, uh, you, if you set the bar for top five tight ends at either 90 targets or 10 touchdowns. Essentially, no tight end has finished top five going all the way back to Randy McMichael in 2003. The only exception would be half-point PPR last year. Mark Andrews had 88 targets. He missed a game with COVID. He probably would have had 90, but he technically finished top five with 88 targets. But you're looking for 90 targets or 10 touchdowns. We don't really project double-digit touchdowns, so it's targets that you want. And that's why I look at this group here. Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson. Not only are these guys pretty much locked in to be top two targets on their team, but they're all capable of leading their team in targets. Kelsey and Waller essentially locks to lead their team in targets. And that's why I rank them that way. Kelsey, Waller in their own tier, right? I'll take them. I won't take a tight end in the first round on principle alone, but I'll take them. I'll consider them in the second round. Waller more towards the third after that, uh, Kittle going the third round. I usually don't take him. He blocks on too high a percentage of snaps. Oddly, he blocks on like 15% of snaps, which the most elite tight ends are 15% of pass snaps, which is that's the real ringer there is that he he spends a lot of pass plays in blocking, which is kind of odd. The only other player that's had that level of success while blocking on that many pass snaps is Rob Gronkowski. And that's probably one of his best comps, which is why he's right. still an elite guy. But for me, I'd rather just pass on Kittle and then I will take one of Andrews or Hawkinson if I'm going that elite tight end route so that's kind of how I lay out the uh, and and I can get behind Hawkinson based off the idea that he's probably the number one target on his team so that I can now buy into the Hawkinson hype I'm just so down on what golf is as as a potential quarterback I mean who knows they're not expected to win many games I mean they just got to throw by default and and therefore Detroit will rack up a lot of junk garbage time points which doesn't matter in, in fantasy. That's good for us. We don't care yeah. if they win or lose. We just want the production. So yeah. Well, let me give everyone real quick my my current company line on the tight end four and five sure. is depending on your format. So I have Hawkin I have Andrews and Hawkinson at four and five. If it's a half point PPR league, I like Mark Andrews because I think he has a bad touchdown upside. I think that team's going to be much better. The Ravens are. He's going to have a better chance to score. He could easily score double digit touchdowns. On the flip side, if it's full PPR, I actually lean towards Hawkinson because I think that seems to be throwing a lot more. He's the top target on the team. He, he probably will have more targets 
but I think he's probably going to score less touchdowns. I don't think the Lions are going to be scoring a whole lot of touchdowns in general. They, they're slated by Vegas to be the second worst team in the league besides the Texans, who are obviously a complete dumpster fire and their quarterback might be going to jail. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's not good for the Lions right now. So that's kind of the way I look at it is Hawkins in full PPR, Andrews in half point, And that's kind of been an easy way to do it so far for me. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Let's go to the next tier here where uh, Cal Pitts obviously is the hot topic this year at the tight end position. We're going where he was drafted at four, they traded Julio. So you're expecting him around six. And I've seen him go higher than that. I think I actually saw him in the lightning round draft again. Now, different format. So one and a half point per reception for, for the tight end position. But I think he went at the end of the first round. Mine too in the lightning round. He went, yeah. I think he went uh, the first pick of the second round, which is yeah. the so, same thing. Uh, same guy. Obviously too high, but it goes to show you the range of where people are buying in to Kyle Pitts. Because as you said, he's not a tight end. He's going to be playing receiver more than he's going to actually play hand in the dirt tethered to the line tight end that's not what Kyle Pitts is going to be doing so well playing the tight end position by label he is actually a wide receiver pretty much by trade here he's around six tight end and Dallas Goddard is around eight those are the only other tight ends taken before round 10 so where, where are we going here yeah so with Kyle Pitts I'm just not I'm not doing it just because someone does get froggy usually and take him ahead of Andrews or Hawkinson or even then he's going a little early and what we have to remember is that even if we say oh he's gonna play wide receiver he could easily be a top two target on the team I mean we've seen uh, wide receivers playing wide receiver that are can't miss prospects like Corey Davis, for instance, who has size and speed and everything have that role right away and not produce because what's uh, the, the reality is that the NFL is just a like a continuous all-star game of the competition that Kyle Pitts just faced. You know what I mean? Like this is the place where if you're the best player in college, you might not even succeed here. These mm -hmm. cornerbacks, these cornerbacks are used to going toe to toe with Julio Jones. I mean, they, he's going to, he could be going up against Marshawn Lattimore if sure. they spread him out. So, I mean, tw twice a season. So I'm not doing it there. I think the lottery ticket here right now is Dallas Goddard because everyone thinks that Zach Ertz will get traded. And when, if, and when he does, I think Goddard's going to be a lot closer to Mark Andrews and Hawkinson than where he is now. So if those guys go in the fourth and fifth round and Goddard's going in the eighth, I think you should jump into best ball and grab him in the eighth or ninth round now. And then a month and a half from now or two months from now, when Ertz is finally moved, you can look back and say, oh, Dallas Goddard's going in the fifth round now? I got him earlier. I got him in the eighth round. So I have you have that. It's like you're building storing value for later with things, things you think are going to happen. You sure. Know? Yep, definitely. Now we break into the double-digit rounds here. We have Robert Tunyon at round 11 and Logan Thomas also in round 11. And I know that you have an interesting take here on Thomas as well because I've seen your Twitter back and forth and some people high on Thomas and maybe, uh, I'm not going to say misleading, right, in the stats per se, but Logan Thomas was among the leader in routes run last season at the tight end position. So why don't you kind of talk about him a little bit here? Yeah, and so for Tunyon, you get into this group here where it's like Tunyon, Thomas, Fant. Now you're into that group where everyone, I don't think people realize why they feel the way they do about them, where they're everyone else is going, there's a big jump. We go from round six and eight for Pitts and Goddard, and then it's all the way, now we're in round 11. People, I think people don't realize why they're doing it, but it's because they're not a top two target on their team. They're not locked in, so it's like you, you're a little scared. Like uh, Robert Tunyon, was actually 
in on a per game basis. He was the fifth target on that team. People forget that Alan Lazard mm-hmm. got hurt. It went it went Adams, Lazard, Aaron Jones, MVS, and then Tunyon. So he's pretty touchdown dependent, dependent, which isn't bad in best ball, but you can get touchdown dependent guys later. So I don't really do a lot of Tunyon. Logan Thomas, the misleading thing with him is that a lot of the stats out there say that the Red, sorry, I wouldn't meant to say Redskins, the Washington football team, they don't run a lot of four wide receiver sets, but that's because Logan Thomas is classified as a tight end. But in reality, he played 700 plus snaps at the slot or at wide receiver, and he only played 300 in line. So he's basically playing slot receiver, which last year was huge for him. He led the league in routes. He actually ran the six most routes from the slot of any player. He ran more slot routes than Cooper Cup. Like we're talking, this guy was playing slot, but he was mostly playing slot because Kelvin Harmon got hurt. They didn't really have anyone to step up. Now they have Curtis Samuel. So that's why for me, if they didn't bring in a Curtis Samuel, I'm still the same team as last year. I'd probably have Logan Thomas as tight end five, six, but right now can't quite do it. They drafted Diami Brown. They just have more weapons. So for me, do you uh, think Ron Rivera's offense essentially, you know, how they had Greg Olson featured so often has anything to do with Thomas. Is there any correlation for you there at all? So Ron Rivera is one of the best coaches for fantasy football because he runs. So I do the tight end articles, but I also did our snap count articles, right? Those grueling snap count articles there, but he runs the most consolidated snap share of any coach in the league, like almost criminal. When you look at teams like the Ravens, they use so much substitution, so much personnel that just two years ago, Nick Boyle played the most snaps of any position player at 69. And the next closest was Willie Sneed at 52. The Panthers, they had uh, under Ron Rivera the year before that, they had all three wide receivers, the running back and the tight end, all playing 80 to 90% of the snaps. And that includes Greg Olson. So you can pretty much count on him to pick 11 guys and use them at a criminal level until they basically get hurt. And that's how you end up getting J.D. McKissick having 100 targets and right. Logan Thomas having 100 targets and Terry McLaurin have 100 targets because they were it was just the same formation, like the same guys, same personnel grouping. And I could see that happening once again. And that's why Logan Thomas out of these, like I would take Thomas over Tunyon for sure. It's just, I got to take Dallas Goddard first because Dallas Goddard could lead the Eagles in targets. Right. And I, I don't think Logan Thomas does. The next grouping here, we have Noah Fant in round 12. We have Mike Kosicki in round 13, Tyler Higby in round 13 as well. Obviously, you were high on Gesicki last year. You were the, maybe the biggest anti-Tyler Higby guy that I know. I know a fan somewhere in the middle for you. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a lot of heartbroken Noah Fant uh, fans and truthers this year because when you sit back, I mean, and Peppa, how would you rank the these guys in terms of who gets the most targets? Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant. Yeah, I mean, it's it feels like Fant is third in that group. Right. And that's going to be the rub. You know what I mean? Because we're also not talking about high efficient targets either, whether they're coming from Bridgewater, whether they're coming from Locke. Like, I would also not... feel better, I think, for Fant if Bridgewater was the quarterback, right? A hundred percent. Because last year we saw the the uh, reluctancy of uh, Bridgewater to throw it to DJ Moore because he was running the downfield routes. I think that actually would be uh, an improvement for fans. So, but you know, it's kind of hard to bank on those things. And the same thing with Mike Gusecki is that I really didn't believe in Preston Williams on undrafted free agent, two torn ACLs wasn't particularly efficient. So I thought that Gusecki could be the second 
target on the team after Devontae Parker. That that ended up being the case, and it was a lot easier once Preston Williams got hurt. But that's why I liked him last year. Now the rebuild's complete. They brought in Will Fuller. They drafted Jalen Waddle. They have Devontae Parker. It's a very uphill battle for Gusecki to get there. And the same goes for Tyler Higby. I mean, he, unless you project him to have more targets than Robert Woods or Cooper Cup, or if you think that the Rams throw an you know, absurd number of times, then it's hard to project him there. And the other thing with Higby is that even during that stretch, when they didn't have Gerald Everett when he got hurt two years ago, when Higby had that amazing run, he was still blocking on 24% of his pass snaps, one of every uh, four pass plays. In general, he blocks on so anywhere between 20 to 25. So even if he's playing every snap, that's over 100 pass routes that he isn't running because he's blocking. So his ceiling is capped to me. In best ball, ceiling is what we care about. So I, I just am not super interested in him. And we might as well say the same thing for this next guy, Irv Smith. First thing, everybody's bubble right here. Everybody's I know. all in on the Irv Smith train. But I know. I mean, but the thing is, in best ball, like, it's a little different. Like, if you're in redraft, a 10 to 12 team redraft league if your tight end's not top five or six then you have a below average starting tight end in best ball you can get away with it when you bring multiple of these guys together right so what i tend to do in terms of strategies if i don't get a guy that has top five upside then i'll use my the yin and yang tight end strategy which is anyone familiar with the articles i write is you pair a a safe guy with a risky guy so a a low basically you take a guy that has a low ceiling but a medium floor like in this instance i would say noah fan like i think there's gonna be very few weeks where noah fan doesn't catch at least a couple balls but he's not gonna probably get like a lot of 10 target games so you take a guy like that and you pair him with a guy that is a little riskier but might have high upside like Dallas Goddard or some of these guys we'll get into later but that's kind of where i go in in these rounds and irv smith i mean can you see a way for him to get more targets than Thielen or Jefferson? Because I really can't. And that's what concerns me for his ceiling. So I don't, but what I could potentially see, and I guess that was a lot of people talk about touchdown regression for Adam Thielen and the red zone efficiency that Adam Thielen had last year when they were in that area. But if those touchdowns start sliding a little bit more to Irv because he's out there in the red zone, then you could see where he doesn't need to have the number three, number two targets if the touchdown volume's there for him, right? So like, right. like was it Dwayne Allen a couple years ago or four years ago, whatever like that, had like 10 touchdowns for the Colts? Yeah. You know, but he wasn't, he wasn't obviously a top two target on that team. So, right. Uh, Robert know. Tunyon as well. So, yeah. I mean, so I think that, so in the yin-yang tight end strategy, the, the safe tight end that, you know, is a guy that gets he's probably third target on his team. He has touchdown upside, but he has no chance at top two, like Fant. Irv Smith both fall in that category where I'm happy to draft them at this part of the draft. If I, if I missed on everybody, right. Mm-hmm. I'll take one of those guys and then I'll start targeting guys later to pair with them that I think have really low floors, but have high upside. And that actually starts with this next guy. in the I was going to say, do yeah. you want to just go into it? Your binky here, Mr. Right. Evan Ingram. Well, I'll actually do, we can do the next three altogether because sure. Like, Talk and think about everything we just talked about, right? These mm-hmm. next three guys. Uh, yeah, so we have throw. Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, and John Drew Smith. And of course, Henry and Smith both play for New England. That's right. But I mean, talk about guys that could be a top two target on their team. I mean, Hunter Henry could lead the Patriots in targets or John Drew Smith. You know what I mean? They could be one and two. 
we've seen it with uh, Zach Gertz and Zach Gertz and Dallas Goddard. So, I mean, why can't uh, Hunter Henry lead the team in targets and John Smith be second? And with Evan Ingram, a lot of people are saying, oh, there's a lot more weapons there and there's a lot more going on. But the, personally, the way I look at it is that Evan Ingram was the most talented receiver on the team, and it wasn't particularly close coming into this year. Now they bring in Kenny Galladay, who I think becomes the most talented guy, but he's also an outside high average depth of target guy that doesn't really soak up targets. If you look at his numbers, he's more of a downfield guy that takes big chunks, but he doesn't get a ton of targets. They bring in Kyle Rudolph to play an inline tight end, which I think frees up Evan Ingram to take over the slot role vacated by Golden Tate, right? So Mm -hmm. for me, I think what happens here is you see a lot of formations where it's essentially, it's essentially... Kenny Galladay on one side playing flanker. I'm sorry, playing split end. Kyle Rudolph in line playing tight end. Evan Ingram playing slot. And then Sterling Shepard out there playing flanker. Like, I mean, Kadarius Toney hasn't even essentially shown up to camp as far as I've heard. I heard one practice. He was practicing without a shoe. He only had one shoe (laughs) because it was an issue with his equipment. And then after that, and then there was a whole big holdout because he didn't want to sign his contract. Then he came back and he was slipping and sliding all over the field. Another equipment issue. I'm not sure what's going on with the equipment manager there. But after that, he had some sort of family emergency. So he he hasn't even played. I mean, we haven't even seen him. So I'm not really concerned about that. I think Ingram has a chance to be a top two target on that team. And I'm certainly, once again, interested at this ADP. Same thing, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. So there's risk involved with all these guys. Ingram could be phased out completely. Hunter Henry or Johnny could end up being the blocking tight end for right. the Patriots and the other guy runs around like crazy. That's why I say grab a Noah Fant, grab an Irv Smith, and then take a stab on one of these guys, a little upside. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that one 100% there. I have, well, where are you with Rob Gronkowski, right? Like I have some questions still about how he started the year. He didn't look very good, right? But if you look at the end of last year, Gronk actually finished, if you go from in PPR from week's five to 17 as the number four tight end in fantasy football. Yeah. I mean, Rob Gronkowski has honestly, as a Patriots fan, looking back, like Gronkowski has never looked like amazing. If you know what I mean? Like he has never quite been, he's always been this like big clunky behemoth. But it's almost like he's defying all logic the way he'll just reach up and snag the football. I mean, he's never looked fluid. He's just, he's running guys over, but it's just crazy. He just, and he's doing all this blocking, like we talked about earlier, but he's still a focal point of the offense. Like he is just one of those guys that were, even I have to admit, I'm such a big stack guy is that this guy is just an absolute freakazoid that defies all logic. That thing there in, in best ball where all you need for a tight end to slot in your lineup at any given week is to catch a touchdown pass, really. I mean, it's such a thin position that if a tight end on your roster catches a touchdown pass, there's a good chance he's going to be in your lineup. So Rob Gronkowski has that upside at any given moment playing with Tom Brady. So again, Gronk is another one where if it were a a one tight end league, I I would never draft him to and be like, oh yeah, I'll just start Gronk every week. But in this format, for sure, if I have a safe tight end that I know is going to catch a couple passes each week, I'll definitely take Gronk because he's going to catch touchdown passes. He's going to spike the ball and do a silly dance and do what he does. Yeah, 100%. I just find it interesting that he got off to such a slow start and then he he ends up being still one of the top tight ends point scoring wise and fantasy for the majority of the season when everybody rules not. Right. It blows, it blows your mind, man. And that's now that I'm really getting into this ADP, like I'm kind of just out on the Fant 
like the Fant, Gasecki, Higby, Irv group there with when you can get, you know, Engram, Henry, Smith, Gronk, and then these next two guys, these are the guys that are this year's, have the chance to be this year's Darren Waller or Mark Andrews that kind of come out of nowhere and take a big step forward are, you know, Gasecki's, the Cole Komet and Adam Trotman group here. Yeah, so so in round 17, we have Komet, Trotman, Blake Jarwin, Zach Ertz, and Austin Hooper going at, in round 17 ADP. I know that last year you were the biggest Jimmy Graham fan because of command in, in the tight end room and who they got asked to block. It wasn't ever going to be Jimmy Graham. But towards the end of the year, we saw Komet start to work his way more into that pass catching role. And there was a reason why they drafted him as a number one tight end off the board last season. Now we come into this season and Jimmy Graham is still there. Do you just see now Komet leaping him or what's, what is changing for Komet now going into this year? So we actually saw the change last year. I, I tweeted this out probably a week ago or so, but basically uh, through the first nine weeks, on average, Jimmy Graham was running 20 snaps from the slot and Cole Komet was doing three. In the last seven games, it, it almost completely flipped, where Jimmy Graham was only doing six snaps from the slot, and Cole Komet had, was averaging 14. This offense is Matt Nagy's offense from the Chiefs, and they want to use a tight end in the slot the way they use Kelsey. All, all positive things coming out about Cole Komet picking up that role and playing a lot of that role. Personally, I think he does pick that up a bit. Jimmy Graham still being there could keep him from being totally unlocked until next year. But I like Komet a lot, especially in Dynasty for that reason. But another one is Adam Trotman, where he comes into the room. Jared Cook is the better pass catcher. So he starts in the blocking role alongside Josh Hill. And he comes up that yeah. way. But now Jared Cook is gone. And actually, Josh Hill is gone, too. So Jared, Adam Trotman is basically in the driver's seat to be that pass-catching tight end for them. And now Emmanuel Sanders is gone, too. If you're in the camp that thinks that... Alvin Kamara was getting all his targets from Drew Brees and that might slow down a little bit, then those targets got to go somewhere. And I think that Trotman has a real good chance to be the second target on that team after Michael Thomas, or at the very least, it'll be Michael Thomas. And then it'll be kind of split between Kamara and Trotman. And when you're talking about, what are we talking about? The 18th tight end, right. 19th tight end off the board. I'm all for the Cole Komet and Troutman group here. So I'm definitely grabbing those two guys, especially because I think it is a bit of a drop-off to this next group. Um, not where, super. Where is your ideal Ertz landing spot for him to be draftable for you? <sighs> Stay on the Eagles, maybe. Get traded to the Colts where, you know. Uh, but the Colts, Colts is a good one. Colts is kind of a good one, yeah. Because he just gets paired back up with Wentz. Right. And he, the thing is they drafted Kylan Granson, who's a super deep pick for me they already said Callan Grants is going to play that 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 role that Trey that Trey Burton played but I think honestly if you want to hear a crazy take I mean I guess I guess there's two spots right the or I mean I guess total three really so I would say the the Jaguars Tebow is just kind of a joke there they have an immediate opening for a pass catching tight end and the spot where there's probably the most targets available to anybody would be the Houston Texans where you know they let Darren Fells go. The tight ends they've had haven't really panned out. Jordan Akins hasn't really been amazing. Imagine Zach Ertz goes there and just, he says, hey, I just want to go somewhere where I can get paid and be a focal point of the offense. I mean, whoever the quarterback is there has basically Brandon Cook and they'd have Zach Ertz and then they have pretty much nothing. Yeah, I don't think he would really maybe love going there, but who knows? Maybe he's just a guy that wants the ball. And that's the place where there would be the most balls available. It's kind of hard to believe, but I mean, it would be interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, so give me the next grouping here, guys that you're looking at. We got Gerald Everett, Jared Cook, Hayden Hurst, who I'm sure we're asking at this point, 
Eric Ebron, who I think had like 90 plus targets last year. And then Anthony Ferkser, who you liked, but Julio's there now, so no dice. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one, man. Ferk, that's my boy. Rest in peace. We were all over him when he could be the second target there. Josh Reynolds wasn't imposing, but now it's Julio and AJ Brown, and that dream is done there. If you don't have your safe guy, so if you need more yins, usually if I wait this late and I'm I'm basically just grabbing four tight ends, two upside guys and two safe guys, then I'll take an Austin Hooper or Gerald Everett as my safe guy because their offenses aren't super high volume. Everyone likes Russell Wilson, but he's never really thrown more than 550 times in the season. I think the highest might be 558, but for him, he's pretty much locked in to be that third target. And same with Austin Hooper, pretty much locked in to be the third target after Odell and Jarvis. It's not a super high ceiling spot, but these are guys that it's hard to imagine them going out in a normal game and not scoring you a couple points, which is if you have like super risky guys like Gronk and stuff, you probably do want to have somebody on the roster that's going to catch at least three passes or so, even if it's not electric. Jared Cook. It's if you were a you and me are Mike Williams enthusiasts, so it's kind of hard for us to get on the Jared Cook wagon. But if you're a Mike Williams hater, you think Josh Palmer's a bum, but you think Justin Herbert's a beast, then maybe you do like Jared Cook. There's a Cook connection there, right, with the coordinators or guy. It is. That is. Yeah. yeah. He. So it's Joe Lombardi. Joe Lombardi Mm -hmm. comes over from from the Saints. And we might as well mention while we're in this group that Gerald Everett. These guys are going back-to-back, Everett and Cook, tight ends 23 and 24 in the 18th round. There's also a connection for Gerald Everett because uh, Walden, I forget his first name now, but Walden comes over from the Rams, and he is was the past game coordinator, I believe his title was, over there with the Rams, and now he's the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks. And he they made an effort to go out and bring in Everett, which there's something to be said about that because we've seen it happen a few times. So that's interesting. And then not really interested in Hayden Hurst at all. I don't know why he would go ahead of Eric Ebron, but Ebron's right. a pass-catching tight end. Pat Fryermuth is going to come up the blocking tree, so Ebron's going to get those opportunities. Ferks are kind of out on. Chris Herndon, kind of interesting. I mean, Adam Gase yeah. had, had him blocking. Yeah, mm-hmm. Adam, Adam Gase had him blocking on 24% of pass plays. That was 110 routes last year that 110 pass plays that Herndon was on the field for, and he was blocking, which is why it made me chuckle that He did Adam that with Gase, Gesicki, too. He had a Gesicki block. 17, yeah, it was 17% blocking under Adam Gase and then went to 2% on the floors. And it made, made me chuckle that Adam Gase came out last year and he was like, why isn't Chris Herndon catching passes, dude? It's like... <laughs> So you believe in the guy on the sideline and being like, why isn't he Why isn't he rushing the ball in for a touchdown? It's like you, you can't have the guy block and then expect him to score. So, yeah, but, I mean, that's my thoughts on that. Herndon, worth a stab, super late. Last pick of your draft, really. These guys are all – we're talking about 20th round, so picks so, 240. So somebody that I just had taken where I got one pick left, I think it is in lightning round, the pick before that, I did go and take Dan Arnold. Yeah, I know he goes against your your theory of top two targets, but we're this late in drafts. Like none of these guys are gonna be top two targets, but you read the reports out of camp again and everybody is glowing about Dan Arnold. There one of their beat writers said that Dan Arnold looks as close to Greg Olson as a number one tight end in this Panthers offense as they've had since he left. And if again, if you look at the the routes run at the tight end position last year, that stat that was out there on Twitter. And now I'm blanking on the who's the tight end that's there for Carolina last year. Oh my God, Ian Thomas. The yeah, Ian, all, Tom, Ian Thomas exercise. was out there yeah, with routes run. He just they never looked his way. Right. So, eighth most routes. Eighth most routes run and 47th in receptions. Right. Like, so absurd. 
if Dan Arnold is a, is a pass catching tight end, like his aren't is like his agent said in that viral clip, this man isn't a blocker. He's a pass catcher, right? Like that's you got to perk your ears up a little bit. All the good words being said out there. Yeah. So I think here where it's like the ADPs are 240, which means it's the 20th round. It's the right. end of your best ball drafts. These are the names I like. I like Dan Arnold as a stab. I like, let's see, I like Jacob Harris, who there's a lot of chirping going on about him. He's a converted wide receiver, which we love to hear. That's the Darren Waller formula, right? He's going, mm-hmm. he converted wide receiver to the Rams to take that Gerald Everett role. Jordan Akins, of course, just because right now he, who knows who's going to be the second target after Brandon Cooks. It's like him, Nico Collins, Randall Cobb. I mean, they could lean on him. Right. I'm hearing a lot of reports that Noah Gray, the Chiefs might be using a lot of two tight end sets. That's another rookie. And then I'll pull out a name that's not even on this list at all, which is Kylan Granson, which uh, fourth round pick for the Colts, the director of pro personnel, Kevin Rogers came out and said, which rarely happens. He comes out and says, this is our replacement for Trey Burton. Just straight up said it. Said this guy's playing the Trey Burton role, which was an entirely pass catching role for the Colts. So if you're in a real deep 30, 30, 30 round league, then yeah, I say take a stab on those guys. Dan Arnold, it was Dan Arnold, Jacob Harris, Jordan Akins, Noah Gray, Kylan Granson. Once you get in the real deep, once you're deep in the weeds, those are the guys that take a stab on super late. I mean, that's uh, that's all we need to hear right there, right? Those are your deep dives in best ball. Like I said, I snagged Dan Arnold, but there's definitely a lot of other options there. And, and Scott Fishbowl, right? We're going to be taking a lot mm-hmm. of deep stabs at this tight end position there. Uh, as well with that coming up and maybe in the next podcast we'll do a little bit deeper dive in scott fish you just had your basically keys to success to the scott fishbowl come out in your article there in the draft guide your best ball article drop this past today actually recording here on wednesday that came out today so a lot more good things here coming from coop uh, any final thoughts before we let everybody go nope that is all for today that's as deep as we get i guess the very deepest tight end i would consider is eli wolf practice squad for the ravens if something uh, were happening to yes. mark andrews Eli Wolf, you got to throw his name out there. But no, that's we, it for we, me. We talked about it back in our in our uh, oh, deep dives, right. and, right. and who else was mentioned in that deep dives? Chris Evans, who Ugh. was just tweeted about the other day as looking good, natural hands as they can find uh, in camp. So. <laughs> That's you and Pemba. Great call. It's breaking my heart as a Joe Mixon guy, but hey, you got to call him out when I see him. It's a good call. You know what? I hope I can hang my hat on that one come season's end. So. But for everybody, guys, you get Cooper on Twitter at Coupe Fiasco. Get me on Twitter at JamPemba777. Of course, you can always find us on Fantasy Alarm in the Fantasy Alarm Discord chat as well. We're always in there answering questions and on Twitter. But for now, we will uh, catch you guys later. 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 We will uh, catch you guys later.